Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Wesley Gray. Wes, are you ready to do this? Yes, sir. I'm always ready. Excellent. Let's do this. Wes is the CEO of Alpha Architect. He is an MBA and PhD in finance, and he is a veteran of the United States Marines. Thank you for your service. Yeah, you got it. My pleasure. And I'm excited to have you on. Wes, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. So, yeah, personal story real quick. Kind of hit it, but yeah, Marine vet. Uh, turn PhD, turn professor, turn asset manager. So I kind of got a little bit of everything. And now I got, you know, my three kids and wife in the burbs of Philly. Um, <laughs> that's about all you need on the personal side. I, I mean, as far as uh, what we do, like our, our firm, uh, Alpha Architect, has a, I, I guess you'd call it an impact mission to empower investors through education. And that really kind of ties back to what I'm passionate about, which is just helping people learn about investing and finance and you know, point them in the right direction. I like that impact mission. So that's not an easy yeah. thing to, to, to try and quantify, but how did you arrive at that? Um, it, it just, again, it was, it was somewhere I'd always actually loved investing in finance, which is, you know, why I went and did all the pain and anguish of getting a PhD in it. Like <laughs> I just thought it was fascinating. Uh, and then, you know, then I was a professor for four or five years so I was just into teaching and help people understand this stuff. And then when we had, uh, you know, gotten the business, we basically got seated by this huge family. I just, I was like, Hey, I don't want to just do what everyone else does. Uh, you know, I want to have a shop that's, you know, stands for, for something bigger than just, Hey, we go try to pick stocks and make money like everyone else. Um, I, I wanted it to stand for something that, you know, I thought was more meaningful where we could make more impact and, what what are we good at? Well, I'm not I'm not like a sales guy. I'm not like an operations guy. I'm a PhD geek that knows a lot about finance crap. So I was like, <laughs> and I like teaching, and so do a lot of my colleagues and teammates. So hey, we're we're gonna go out there and and help people learn about this stuff. And yeah, we have products on the side, and and they may or may not be appropriate for you. And sure, maybe out of the hundred people that read our blog and you know read our books maybe one will actually use our stuff, but you know, big picture, that's, that's enough to keep us in business and we still get to help out a hundred people. So we just thought it was kind of a, you know, a good mission and, and something we were passionate about and just makes us excited about going to work every day. No, I, I, I love it. So I certainly appreciate that. And the idea of empowering through, through education, I think everybody can, can appreciate that. And I saw on your website, you talk about creating sustainable investors. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, kind of the reason for empowering investors education is, and you probably know this, have, haven't been in the advisory space for so long, is one of the biggest challenges is we all know how to be a good investor, right? Like have a process, have a plan, focus on it, stick to it over the long haul, you know, save more than you make, all these basic ideas um, but the issue is, is a lot of times people, they don't actually know the fundamentals. They don't know the basics of what they're getting into. And we think that's where education can be at least one component of that uh, problem solving element there where, okay, you're an informed consumer, 
now presumably you can make better decisions going forward. Um, so so that, that's where we think that if people know what's going on, at least at the margin or a little bit more than they did prior, they can be more able to be sustainable or, or stick through times when, you know, maybe your strategy is not working that well, or, or maybe someone on CNBC says, oh, your stock's a dog. You know, I'm shorting that right now, you know, because you're informed, because you understand what you're doing and why, uh, i.e. you're educated and informed on your process, presumably you will become more sustainable over the long haul and not, you know, succumb to a lot of the issues that a lot of investors have, which is, you know, day trade, pay too much, think too hard, stress out, you know, make crazy decisions and what have you. Yeah. And that's certainly something that anybody can fall victim to. And I think probably the, the, the vast majority of us do. And I'm certainly guilty of that. Mm -hmm. When I was in my twenties, I was even working in the industry and I would mm -hmm. watch like fast money and those shows. And I'd be thinking, Oh my gosh, you know, I need to be doing exactly what they're talking about. When in fact, that was probably exactly. the opposite of, of, of what I should have been doing. Um, and so yep. just empowering people to be able to sort of make heads and tails of that and say, you know what? Okay. You know, I, I understand yeah. that things go in cycles and I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to overreact. Yeah. When, and the other thing about our industry is in some industries, like there's an incentive to actually help people become informed. Uh, in our industry, it's actually the opposite. Like, you want there to be a lot of complexity. Mm -hmm. You want there to be a lot of opaqueness because then you can charge more and confuse people more. Um, so the issue is in our industry, there's, there's a disincentive uh, in many cases to actually help people understand what's going on. Um, and that just obviously leads to bad decision-making, which we want to try to, you know, nip in the bud up front through helping people understand in the first place, and then present them with decisions and then they can you know either call you out or say oh that's crazy you're a maniac or oh yeah that actually makes sense thanks for actually explaining me why this is good or bad um so again i just think in, in education specific in financial services i think is a good idea i think there's a huge movement to move towards that as opposed to you know jamming down bad ideas down grandma's throat yeah Going the way of the dodo bird these days, I yeah, hope. Right, yeah. Only took a hundred or so years. You know, yeah, the, yeah. One of my. <laughs> well, they're still trying. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but I think Google and computers and technology of uh, you know, and the and kind of the rise of the independent advisor and all this other stuff seems to be breaking the armor of a lot of the uh, you know old school methods out there. One of my favorite quotes by Daniel Kahneman talking about the entire financial industry saying that it's an industry built on the illusion of skill. Like, wow, that is a zinger right there, man. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty much. Uh, you got it. And the best way I always think about it is, is I always tell people like investing is a lot like diets, right? Like it's not hard. How do you lose weight? Right. Work out more, <laughs> eat less crap. Yes. Like, it's just math, man. Like, <laughs> but yet there's a million diets out there. You know, you could pay like a bajillion dollars to essentially get to that basic point. Um, and it's, you know, it's just like investing, like, you know, eat less, work out more is equivalent to, you know, own risk and be disciplined and stick to it for the long haul. It, you know, but, and there's a hundred ways that people try to get you to that, but yeah. you know, it, they just like confuse you and, and charge you too much for it in general. Um, but yeah, same problems everywhere, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's cause there's people involved Wes. So <laughs> yeah, 
And <laughs> no, no, I got it. Uh, I'm one of them, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> that's why I use computers to do everything. If uh, if I let my monkey brain do anything, I'd be that's right. broke as hell right now, yep. just like everyone else. So I, I just I try to avoid making decisions when it comes to uh, finance and investing. Just let computers do it for me. For sure. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I'll be I'll be Kramer up there hitting the. Sell, 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 or the, the yes. buy, buy, buy button. Yes. Um, and that's that's probably not uh, what I need to be doing. Probably that's, not. That's hazardous to my wealth. Right. So. And then I saw that you talked about how you also, once you help create a sustainable investor through education, you help people mm-hmm. develop an edge. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Sure. So, so there's kind of two ways to, there's two components of edge that at least we theorize about in financial markets, right? Like, one is you've just got a smarter mousetrap than Joe Blow. Um, and that's a really hard edge to maintain because you always got to have the next smarter PhD to come up with the next better mousetrap. Um, so I think it's important to have a good mousetrap, but I think you know trying to sustain that edge forever is probably unsustainable. The other edge is creating capital and creating discipline in the money that's in the strategy. Because there's a lot of edge out there, I think, in just being able to stick with strategies that we all know, quote unquote, work over the long haul. But in many cases, they can be really bad against some standard benchmark for a reason, right? Because everyone in the world like needs to beat the market every day. Not many people are in a position to think 20 years out. And so I think when you got like a reasonable process that maybe has a rough edge, maybe it's not perfect, but more importantly, you pull that rough edge with like sustainable capital that's going to stick with this strategy for a long time. That creates a powerful combination edge where it's kind of part strategy, but really part capital. Um, those two components, I think, can generate you know a lot of long-term uh, benefits for people. Whereas, like I said, just trying to be the, the next smartest Albert Einstein of investing. It's just, it's, I think it's too hard. It's like trying to, you know, be whatever Jerry Rice, like only one person gets to be Jerry Rice, not, right. not everybody. So, so maybe you aim to be, you know, in good shape and, uh, you know, and, and run pretty fast and, and, you know, get the job done, which is still cool. You're not Jerry Rice. It, I guess if people don't know Jerry Rice is a famous wide receiver. I guess he's an old school example, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, edges. I feel like in the marketplace of today, where it's just so competitive, um, and there's there's just too many brains out there. I still hugely believe in edge, but I think the edge is really a, a symbiotic relationship between strategy and capital source. Uh, I don't I don't think you can have one without the other. And, and obviously, Warren Buffett's a great example. Like capital source, money, good can stick through anything through thick and thin and obviously his investment process is, is pretty reasonable. Um, but ha- had you been missing one or both of those, you know, it probably would have not ended up so well. So it's a it. uh, different take on edge than most, but uh, I like it. It's just our theory on it. Good stuff. So the PhD and a desire for educating mm-hmm. people and helping them become sustainable. So how does that, how, how, how would you describe your, philosophy or approach to investing? Well, it all kind of ties in. So, so one of the things that, you know, I came out of like academics doing research, writing books, 
and a lot, and we and we specifically focus in, in I guess you'd call it quant or, or systematic investing. So you're gonna, it's kind of like Moneyball for stock picking, right? So you're gonna say, hey, these stocks, the the classic one might be value. We're gonna go buy these cheap PE stocks and you know buy the ten percent cheapest and rebalance that every year as like a simple example. So that very strategy, like we all know works really well over the long haul and you can everyone in the world could go back test it like holy cow if you just buy you know cheap stocks and hold them you know and rebalance them every year you beat the market by four or five percent um and everyone knows that that's like an open secret but not not many people actually offer products or strategies out there that do that kind of investing and you got to wonder why well, I now know why. It's called career risk and relative <laughs> performance. Because <laughs> if you do that strategy, even though everyone on the planet Earth can go do their own analysis, you know, it clearly, quote unquote, works over the long haul, but it goes through these like five year performance stretches of like no good, you know, for anybody. You got fired for doing this. Um, and w- so what's, what's odd is we actually specialize in strategies like that. So we say, hey, here's the long-term evidence. Here's the reality of this. It's it's an open secret. We're going to deliver it to you. But oh, by the way, you know you probably want to size this correctly, and you don't want to benchmark it against you know some standardized index every day because it's very different. It's sometimes you'll be very happy, sometimes you'll be very sad, but you should just be very unemotional about it. Um, so that's what we do: kind of concentrated factor investing that is. You know, definitely not for everyone uh, would, would be the uh, would be the punchline, um, but but certainly interesting for some. Fair enough. Well, thank you for that. So, a couple minutes ago, we were talking about how um, the more we can remove our our brains from our our lives, we're probably in better shape. And a lot of this through technology and with financial technology yeah. and robo advisors and all these mm-hmm. things coming into the marketplace. How do you view yeah. that? And 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 how do you think that 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 people can benefit from from those things? Well, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because on one hand, like all the technology, all the transparency, all the data, all this information could theoretically make us better decision makers, right? Because now it's not, you know, a few people in the, in the shiny tower at Wall Street that have all the information. Everyone has the information. So that, that's potential win. But then going back to the fact that, well, we're actually humans, um, what would be the potential downside of tons of information, tons of access, tons of computing technology? Well, frankly, it's the ability to act and actually think you know what you're doing. So, for example, there, you know, I can now go on a computer in like any, in two seconds, I can analyze every statistic about every stock and generate a portfolio, right, with our, with our systems we have set up. That's awesome. The problem, though, is there's also things like Robinhood, are you familiar with like the Robinhood app? Yes. Yeah. So the Robinhood app is amazing technology, but it'll literally like beep you and give you a text message if like your stock moves by 1%, mm. i.e. encouraging activity, encourage you to do something, encourage you to get more emotional. And so I think what, what's going to happen is everyone's saying right now, oh, technology is making, you know, people better decision makers, making markets more efficient. I actually think in the end when it's all said and done, um, it's actually going to make people just do what Jack Bogle said originally. They're going to trade more. They're going to make more worse decisions. They're going to become overconfident because they have tons of information that they actually think is predictive of something. 
and, and so I think it, in, it could end up being a double-edged sword where um, all this extra really cool stuff just enhances the behavioral problem. And so that ability to either step back and, you know, build a system or, or have like some intermediary, you know, help you out and, and just protect you from yourself was not going away anytime soon, basically. Yeah, well, I think that really resonated with me, what you just said, certainly making us overconfident. I think that we're already falling victim to that bias all the time, like when I think about yeah. how much better driver I am than all the other drivers on the road. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's overconfident anyway, but I think 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, and, and the, the best way to explain that is, is there's a bunch of these psych studies out there where, where they'll literally, they, they have something that the, that the um like the people need to predict and they forecast, right? And what they'll do is they'll systematically, they have data points that have a lot of predictability. And then like the 90th data point is just literally noise. And so what they'll do is they'll give, they'll give some people like three or four data points and they'll say, Hey, tell me how confident you are in your forecast. And then, and then they'll give some people five data points all the way out to like a hundred data points. And what you notice is that as you give people the basic information, they have a good forecast and they have good confidence. Problem is, is you give them too much information, their forecast doesn't improve at all, but their confidence in that forecast goes up exponentially. It grows linear with uh, information. So, and that's what I, what I see in the information age is people's ability to actually predict what's going to happen is not changed, but their confidence in their ability to predict things is growing linearly with data, which is basically directly overconfidence. Um, like you believe in your own bullshit too much is, uh, <laughs> is the technical term. Uh, and, and I just see that getting worse and worse as, uh, as, as more and more people have access to stuff that they think is helping them, you know, predict the future. I think that makes all the sense. And that really, I think goes back to the importance of becoming an educated investor and becoming a, susta- a sustainable investor. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, Wes, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Man, I, I've got, I think it's a good tip. I don't know if they will, but uh, <laughs> like my whole life, and it kind of boils down to what I learned in Marine Corps, is, is this idea of no pain, no gain. And, and even though that's obviously more Marineism, I feel like it's totally applicable in investing and it protects you from a lot of bad stuff. So just always remember that, you know, no pain, no gain in, in investing. If there isn't some sort of pain associated with it, don't expect to have some sort of gain associated with it. And as long as you just, you know, manage to hold that in the back of your head, I think it'll uh, serve you well on a go forward basis as you try to make decisions in the uh, financial services space. Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. And Wes, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, basically, just hit our website, alphaarchitect.com, or on Twitter, at uh, alphaarchitect. And that's where we were always jibbing and jabbing about uh, you know quant and investing stuff. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Wes your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to alphaarchitect.com. Find him on Twitter, and I'll list both of those in the notes of the show as well. Thank you again, Wes. You got it. Appreciate for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.
Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step-by-step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!